Hey, have you been thinking about starting a podcast? And have you done your research? And they've told you that you need to buy certain equipment? Well, if you want to start off a podcast the cheapest way, I'll tell you to download Anchor. You can create your own cover art, you can record episodes, you can edit your episodes, and you don't even have to worry about distributing your episodes. Anchor will do it all for you. They'll send it to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. So I encourage you to download the Anchor app if you're interested in creating your own podcast. Hey, welcome to the Mental Block with Shelby. Um, Today, I'm going to continue on my topic about how this election has affected us mentally. I'm going to be interviewing a friend from high school, Soren. Um, at the, I usually call him like my data checker. He is the person that usually on Facebook is really good about posting like how you check your data. Because um, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I am too lazy to like fact check any of these things. Um, so it's always wonderful that he will post something where I can check it or I can read the article itself. So, after you guys, um, this year has been crazy. This election has been crazy. It has affected me in a in a weird but positive way. It's been very stressful, but it's also been good that I've actually had to go back and reteach myself civics. So, yep. So that's how it has affected me, and I think you guys will hear throughout the rest of this how this election has taken a toll on me as a parent as a mental health professional, and just as a Black woman in today's society. Um, so, Soren, let's see how this election has affected you. So, how, how what's going on with that? Like, how how was this, sitting here waiting for days to figure out who would be the next president-elect? Matter of fact, I think we're still waiting. <laughs> um, well, thanks for having me on. Um, so, yeah, I it's it was a weird year for me. Uh, but actually, before we, I think the general election was sort of the end of a long, in terms of the electoral side of things, was sort of the end of a long story. Did you, were you involved at all or, or, or following along with the primary? Yes, uh, I made sure that I went to um, vote for primaries. Um, my fiance, unfortunately, since we moved, um, he's he's considered unaffiliated. So for him, uh, he could not vote in primaries because for Connecticut, you have to either be a Republican or Democrat. Mm, right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of that system. But yeah, that is that is sort of the requirement there. Um, OK, cool. Yeah. So I was uh, I, I would say the way things sort of panned out for me is that I was. I'll give you I'll give you the like sort of what happened and I'll give you like this, this the backstory because I think it's. Yeah, it's also relevant <laughs> to my perspective on this. So, um, as in 2015, 2016, I was very uh, sort of um, committed to a particular primary candidate. In this case, and in last time and this time, it was uh, it was Bernie Sanders. Um, I was very. Uh, I, I I wasn't under the illusion that. Um, Maybe less so than 2015, um, but I wasn't under the illusion—the illusion that that uh, electing somebody like Bernie Sanders was going to change the world or or um, be radical change. But I did think that as things sort of stood, it was easily the best choice of the available options, and um, and that that platform would do the most good of of sort of the available um, avenues that we could have gone down. Uh, and then it looked really good. So anyway, so I got I got involved in the sense that I was um, 
you know, following the, the primary very closely and, um, and, and talking about it quite a bit and following sort of the, the ins and outs of each aspect of the primary season, which went on forever. I mean, I don't know if you remember, but the primary started like a year, year and a half before they even first, the first vote was cast. We had like uh-huh. 20, 30 candidates. And by the time we got to the actual elections, there were still like 15 or something like that. And um, so people dropped out before we even got that far, just by polling numbers, things like that. And then we got to the elections and it looked actually really good for Bernie Sanders. And I was very encouraged by that news. Um, and it actually looked like he might win. Um, and then things sort of all fell apart uh, for that campaign um, by uh, after South Carolina voted and then uh, Super Tuesday. And uh, it was around that period, I would say, actually, after South Carolina, before Super Tuesday, that I mentally checked out of electoral politics altogether. Um, I... Yeah. And so by that point, I was kind of convinced that there's just no way he was going to win. And I just wasn't all that invested. And I was extremely concerned about the idea of Joe Biden running for president against Donald Trump. Uh, I thought that was a terrible matchup. Um, What we did not anticipate at the time was the unbelievable effect of coronavirus, which I think, I mean, people have different views on this and it's kind of hard to prove it one way or the other, but it does feel to me like because of COVID-19, um, it gave Joe Biden a leg up. He wouldn't have otherwise necessarily had. And I think that really helped motivate. I um, felt the same way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hope I said, I told my coworkers, sorry to cut you off, but I told my right, coworkers right. the same thing. Like I was like, listen, had it not been for COVID, we would be in, we would have another four years of Donald Trump. I think it's true. I mean, and it's, I mean, it's hard to prove one way or the other, but it does feel like, and you also, so you you can't prove that and you can't prove that another candidate would have done better. And you can, there's nothing you can show really. You can, you can point to evidence that suggests one thing might be true versus another, but who knows? I mean, ultimately at the end of the day, I guess it doesn't really matter. You know, he won and um, uh, all things being equal. Uh, certainly I think Joe Biden's superior to Donald Trump. There's no question about that. Um but I do think that he really lucked out with COVID as a horrible, it's a horrible thing to say because COVID's a horrible uh, phenomenon. But I think um, if that hadn't happened, I would have been very concerned to see the way the election went because there wasn't, so I followed the, I, I followed, I didn't follow the election super closely. Um, I was much more invested in other forms of politics, which I'd be happy to talk about um, a little bit later. But um, what I was following was uh, the Biden campaign strategy and their strategy, they, openly said this was to let him dig his own grave and to sort of stand back and let Trump sort of um, mess 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 the campaign up himself and to not sort of go on the offensive, not get in front of things, not be public about uh, about the positions and just sort of rely on Trump's ineptitude to bury him, which was a, a bad strategy in my opinion. It wasn't it wouldn't it wasn't a good strategy in twenty sixteen. I don't think Hillary Clinton had the same strategy, but I think that it would have been a bad strategy in 2016. And I, I think it was a bad strategy in 2020, but because of COVID-19, it still managed to work, but I don't know that it was a winning strategy per se. It just was no. for the moment to happen to be good, but I don't, I don't think they, and I don't think they adjusted because of COVID-19. I don't think they said, well, we were going to be out in front of things. We were going to be very public. We were going to show leadership. We were going to really sort of, uh, run a, a, um, a vigorous campaign, but then COVID and we decided to do um, this sort of stand back. They always wanted to do this. That was their plan all along. And um, I think it just, the wind shifted in their favor and they ended up working out. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I think COVID 
that's my, I really personally like had it not been for COVID, um, it wouldn't have mattered. Like it wouldn't have mattered. Trump would be president again. And I think COVID, um, I could for me, I could say COVID made it as where people had to sit down in their houses and then at that sitting down um, and waiting on money from like the government and how things were working and all the um, the things that were happening and being televised. I think um, that helped Joe Biden's campaign a lot, because when you look at the people who voted for him in the states that he won in, in the margins, when it comes to like the racial disparities, um, black women, black, black people but more so black women, um, black and like the black and brown communities are what gave them the numbers. And honestly, if you didn't put, is it Kamala? Okay. I think Kamala. Kamala. <laughs> I'm going to pronounce her name wrong. I am so terrible. <laughs> but if you didn't have her on the ticket either, um, I don't think that, um, I don't think that he would be the president elect if that's the title we can give him now. I think that's, I think it's fair to, to use that term. I, I wrote an article recently where I used that term, so I, th- I think uh, I'm, I'm committed to it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the numbers to me, the numbers are there to say it. But oh, the, yeah. The, the the question isn't whether or not he he's definitely going to win or has won or whatever the I don't know how the official. I think the states are still rat, you know, sort of um, signing off on the results in each state and so on and so forth. And there's legal challenges and all that uh, nonsense, but. Um, the facts on the ground are that he won. So whether or not he's officially president-elect <laughs> or will be president-elect doesn't really matter, right? Yeah, but I do think that um, the pandemic, like I said, it was it's good and bad. I mean, a lot of people are lost, uh, lost their jobs. A lot of people died. But um, the thing about it, it caused the world, I guess, especially United States, to stop and really see um, what our democracy looked like and what it was doing. And I think the people that were mostly or greatly affected were the, were the black, black and brown communities, the poor communities, um, and, and the, the cities. So, and I think that is where they got, that's where their number, that's where they really want it. Cause even when you look at the map, I mean, also the, the higher populations are basically on the coast. But um, when you look at the map, that's where it is, and and it and it speaks to that. And I think that personally, it had it not been a pandemic, we would all have gone, been gone about our lives, and whatever would happen, would happen, and it would have been like, okay, well. And I could say, like, I've said it plenty of times that like black and brown people don't matter un- until it's time to vote, and other mm-hmm. than that, then then we and then it goes back to us not matter. Mm-hmm. Well, I definitely agree and with that. Only there for <laughs> yeah, like it's really, and that's like it doesn't matter if if you're Republican or Democrat, Independent, Green Party, whoever party, um, it doesn't matter. Like the only time that, like in my opinion, that that the Black and Brown communities matter is when it comes time to vote. Um, other than that, it's like okay, now go back, and whatever laws we make, whatever, you know, who cares if it affects you or not? And I mean, I could be wrong, but that's just how I've always viewed it. I think that's, you know, first of all, I've, you know, I, I think it's really valuable to get what people's impressions are of, I mean, that's one thing that I w- I'm curious to actually to hear from you and from other people, which is, um, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of directions to take that. But one of the, the questions I have is just how different people feel like their lives are or were, were under, for example, Donald Trump versus what they were under 
Barack Obama or under George Bush even. Um, and I get that we're, <laughs> we're probably too young to really um, to look mm -hmm, at that. And, I remember. And, and, and like, I mean, obviously I remember, I remember Bush, I remember Obama, but like I, I largely wasn't living an adult life for any of that. Right. I was, I was fairly young and not having to deal with all of the things that, you know, one does as an adult. So it's a bit hard to compare apples to apples. Um, oh, see, for me, it was different. Yeah, okay. It was different. Because my grandmother, I live with my grandma. Like I was adopted by my grandma, mm -hmm. so like for us, it it was different because uh, my grandma adopted me, um, and two of my sisters, and then my cousins. So it was five kids. And my grandma was on disability, and um, her husband he worked, but he's he well he's a U.S. citizen, but he's naturally from Jamaica. So, like for us, it was different. Like I felt it. Like when. You know, when when we had like Bush in office and they were talking about like the um, I guess the like the housing market crash and and things like we I felt that because the money changed in my house. Mm. Like we felt that um, it went from being able to all do shopping and this until like, oh, I'll have to see about it if we have enough to do that. Like I used to have to stand in line to get like when I was in high school, like a lot of people didn't know. I, we used to have to go to like the food bank. Not saying that my grandma couldn't afford food, but it would be it's so many of us in the house that like when it came to wanting like to get certain snacks or even to buy certain meats and things like that, like we had to go stand in line to get food. Like it, it was just like that. Mm -hmm. Um and then even over summers when I used to work when I was like 16, um, I used to work two jobs. There, This is the first time in my life I've only had one job. It technically is not even one job because I get I have my son and that's a job I don't get paid for. But um, it's the, uh, the like, unpaid I've, labor of the home, huh? It's <laughs> exactly a real thing. It's a real thing. I, I've worked, I've worked two jobs like I, I that's something I had to do. And it would go to my grandma would tell me um, you pay for what you what you want and i'll get what you need but then it would also be that like sometimes i'm like okay i'll take care of things myself when i turned 18 i had to get a job well i didn't have to but i got a job and i tried to take the bills off of her because i i saw how much it was and uh, and i try to i pay for my own phone the, my phone i've had since i was 18 i've been paying for my own phone um when i got my own when i got a car um, the only how I got a car is because my grandma's brother passed away and he left me money. So it was like we felt that. Like under Obama, um, it was a little bit easier in the sense that like we got more assistance. Um, like my grandma couldn't get food stamps, but at the time I was old enough. Once I turned 18, I, I got old, I was old enough as to where I could get food stamps. And that helped. It helped and believe it or not, it was only it was two hundred dollars, but it helped enough, you know. Um, and I think that is that I felt that now, um, and it wasn't, it wasn't under Obama. Also, it wasn't cool to be, I shouldn't say it wasn't cool to be racist because I still felt like I still dealt with racism, especially like in college. Um, but it wasn't as blatant as it is now. And I don't know if it's because I live in the North that is, it wasn't like boom in your face. Like we hate you cause you black. It wasn't like that. It was more so like very, these undertones and like a little bit of mm. like microaggression. <laughs> um, and it wasn't just blatantly like thing, right? TV. Yeah. It wasn't just like out there, like boom, yeah. like, you know, in your face, it was more so like, you know, like little characters they would make of the Obamas or something like that. But then people thought it was so distasteful that they would speak against it. Um, under Trump's administration, at first, like I'll tell you, in 2016, uh, I voted for Hillary Clinton. Um, and honestly, 
I voted for her just just because I, I voted for her. Like, I know it sounds crazy, but it's true. I didn't care for Trump. I just thought, like, he was a business person. Like, what the hell does he know about politics? And if, if a job wants me to have, like, a certain number of years of experience, then I felt whoever runs this com- country should have, it should be held to that, too. You should have some experience in what you're going for. Because that's how they, that's how I was treated. <laughs> so I, I voted for her. That didn't happen. I mean, and at that time, it didn't phase me. I had a coworker, and I've said this before, that she came into work crying. And she, at that time, she understood what I didn't, you know. Um, and then slowly under hit, under Trump, um, things changed. I have state insurance. Certain insurance things changed for me. Like now when I go to the dentist, um, I'm only allowed to spend $1,000. And after the $1,000, I have to come out of pocket, which is basically anybody anybody with common sense knows, knows that's ass backwards. Mm-hmm. Because if I had private insurance, I would pay a thousand dollars, and then whatever I couldn't afford to pay after the thousand dollars would technically they would cover it. Um. So, and then also like when it comes to race, it's been more blatant. It's been more out there. Um. I've experienced it. Um. And even just more so recently, I was with my nephew and my son and my niece and my sister, and like I had these guys. Um. And, you know, they were just being, they were talking to us because we were black. And, and the idea is that my nephew's like, oh, he's making me so mad. Like, I want to say something. My nephew's 16. He's black. And he is, he's a football player. So he ain't small either. Um, and, and having to try to tell him to, like, not deal with that. Like, oh, don't worry about it or just ignore it. And um, they're not talking to us or whatever. And knowing that they were, and it hurt me to, to try to tell him to turn the other cheek because how he felt was valid. Um, and to tell him like, oh, like it's not like, you know, and the reason why I felt as though I had to step in and even do that is because I fear for his safety. Like y'all out here killing black people, like, you know, just killing us. And, and the sad thing is with the black community, we know it happens, but at the rate that the t- the television networks were showing it at the rate that social media was just posting it everywhere was disrespectful. Um, as, as a black person, I know what happens. I know when we get stopped that we're more likely to to never go home again. I know as a black person that I'm going to be stopped by the police more than anybody. Like, I know that whether I'm doing right or wrong, I know as a black person that that happens. And I know that even before Donald Trump became president, like these things were happening. But at the rate that they were happening and how bizarre things were just getting passed, like, oh, the kid, he killed himself and then he rolled himself up in a mat. Like, really, did he really kill himself, then roll himself up in the mat? Are you serious? Oh, this kid, um, he was hanging from a tree because he tied a noose around his own neck and just jumped from a tree. Like, come on now. And then even when it came to like the whole, like the Breonna Taylor, the George Floyd, um, all that, and the way that the, everything just kept coming and it, it, and it just wasn't stopping. Um, and that's traumatizing. And like, I always say, like, I think the black community, black and brown communities do suffer from PTSD. So when we do get stopped by police officers, some of us overreact, some of us underreact, you know, some of us freeze because we don't know what's happening next. Um, and I, I really felt as though under this administration is where like, I felt as though I have to defend who I am and not even who I am, but what I look like because the color of my skin, like my, I have to defend my skin color. Like this is something I can't change. I don't care how much lightning creams I use or whatever. Like I will always be black, African-American, 
um, you know, like who, however they want to label me, that's what I'll always be. Like, that's something I can't change. And um, I thought it was just weird that being that I have like a master's degree and I'm going to be going for my license um, for counseling that, you know, like I, it doesn't matter to people. What matters is what I look like. And I, and I think that that's crazy. And not even what I look like, but the color of my skin matters so much so that it discredits all the work that I've done. And that's what I felt. And I felt it more so under Donald Trump's administration, especially during this last, these last two years more so, um, that I really felt that. And it sucks. And I don't know about, I can't speak for other Black people, but we're tired of that. And it, you get sick of it. You get tired of people trying to tell you like, oh, don't behave this way or look at you guys or, you know, oh, we're going to get them. Like, oh, look at them. Like, even when it came down to like the marches and the riots, oh, they're looting, they're doing this. Like, honestly, black people is not, they're not going to go tear up their own places. And I wish that people would get out the notion that we're going to actually go to the poorest neighborhoods we have and just tear shit up just because. Nine times out of 10, that's not just us. It's people who come into these places that commit these crimes, that do these things to where we live at. And I, I just wish that people understood that. And under that administration, under Donald Trump's administration, to even um, send out, um, you know, like the, the what is it, the, little, the army people, I can't think of what they're called right now. The National Guard, yes. To send them out because these people are marching. Like what happens when people are at his rallies and they're acting a certain kind of way? And then even then the call with, with people who like Trump, who go see him a rally. You know, and after that, you have it even when he was running, like the people at your rallies are punching people in the face. Like, it's like, what? They're punching people in the face. Like, they, you know, they're, it, it's just that notion. Not everybody that goes to rallies are hitting people, but it's just that notion that those people um, that are rallying there, um, some of them are violent. And after that, we can't say everybody who goes see Trump is violent. Just like you can't say everybody who's marching for Black lives is violent. It's just those individuals. So should a group of people, um, I guess, be labeled or defined by the actions of one or two people of that, that party? Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. And just on that, that the, um, the idea of your professional identity not being protective, um, you know, I, I was just, as you were, you, were, um, you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, that that's exactly what happened with Sandra Bland. Right. Um, she was, uh, I don't remember what her job was per se, but she was like a professional, um, oh, I think she was a, a, she might have been a lawyer a or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you. Oh, yep. She was, I think she was. Um, but regardless, she right. Was. She has, you know, there was nothing, not that this should matter. Right. It doesn't mean like it's, it's if somebody works at McDonald's or doesn't have a job or whatever, doesn't mean they're any less deserving of, um, of not dying, but, um, but even despite having sort of a, a fancy job or whatever she had, I think she was maybe wearing a like business of like, there's nothing like you, you sort of checked off all of the respectability boxes, which, um, you know, whether or not there should be any respectability boxes, I, I, don't, I don't think so, but even despite that she was still killed. And so I think, I think that you're absolutely right about that. And I think that there's a real, um, there's a real phenomenon there and it's one of the reasons that I think that it is not um it is not equivalent to uh, to look at the potential presidency of a Biden um a Biden administration uh or or to look at a, a potential second term of Trump 
on that end, I, I will say that I think that the um, it's 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 undoubted that uh, that killing. So, so let's put it this way: I think that the um, the rates of these these murders has uh, has always been um, very high and very disproportionately targeted towards towards black folks and also indigenous uh, people as well, um, and that's been going on for pretty much as long as this country's been around. Um, as long as ever since emancipation for sure um and 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 uh and so mm -hmm. on so that's for sure i i think that we and i'm sure that aggravated racial violence i think there's i think there's good data on this uh as well as as increased under the trump administration just um by virtue of of making it more normalized or whatever the term is um but i think that also just the fact that we have easier and easier ways of recording and um and broadcasting these stories that it also feels like it's happening all the time uh, in a way that it wasn't before when actually I think what's more likely happening is that there may be an increase, but also um, just having having it on video more also makes it feel more present. Like if you had smartphones in 1980, would you feel the same way? Potentially, potentially I don't know, you know, like Facebook. No, so. that's what I'm saying. It happens. The rate that this happens um, is always been, you know, um, and I think what is I think what is baffling is that even with with having things on tape, that how easy this oh, stuff yeah. is getting drawn out. I think that um, that even then, like even how we know that we have innocent people that have gone to jail and more so black men um and they were falsely accused. And then when you go back and look at the cases of these things, and it's nothing to stand on. So for the black community, have these things always been happening? Yes. I think what irritates me more so when you when I think about it from the mental health perspective is how we are normalizing this, like how it's on TV, the way it's spread um, about. Because um, like I don't have TikTok, <laughs> but I have a new I think we're too old for TikTok. Niece. <laughs> I think so. Well, I don't know. I talked to my grandma oh, okay. up there, so I don't know. But my niece, she is 11, and so for her to see, um, they have George Floyd up there, like the, you know, the video, and it's just like, what the hell? This is 11 year old kid. Like, granted, 11 year olds are way more advanced than I, I was, but um, still, I don't. I think that's something that her mother should have um sat down and explained to her. And even then, like, um, the idea that that as African-Americans or even brown people that we have to sit down and have a talk with our children about how it is when they're being stopped by police officers, or even um, about race. Like, um, like I'll say, I grew up in Hartford um, and more so where I grew up is like, like I want to say is like the upper middle class, like black people um my neighborhood. But the thing about it is um, I didn't, I knew I was black, but I didn't know I was black until I went to college. Like I said, I faced, <laughs> more racial mm -hmm. stuff. That's where I was like, oh damn, I'm like really <laughs> But um like there, but even then like um growing up like being told like you know because you're black you're gonna have to work twice as hard. Um that notion um of it and I think that under Trump's administration it didn't give and I think that's why like when when black people will when something happens to us and like but I am this and I think that's why I also identify like listen I've worked hard to get where I am um, I started way, way, way behind the gun, you know. Um, and I think that when you talk to um, black people that are accomplished uh, on paper, I guess more so, um, 
that it is that factor. Like I've worked my ass off to get where I am. Like I'm the first person to do this in my family or, you know, how many people I had to beat out to get to this position or to that. And, you know, like how many times that, you know, we had to bite our tongue because, you know, at the how everybody knows, like there's a work you and then there's a real you. But for black people, I feel like there's a, you know, like you cannot be the real you even when you're not at work because of the, the some stereotypes, you know? And I don't know if it's like that for all black people, but I know I've felt it um, more so. Yeah. I mean, this is, this um, is a, this is a that. bit of a, um, a bit of a tangent, but I think just to give the alternate perspective. So, um, and for people listening who may not be aware of uh, <laughs> the context for, so, so Shelby and I went to the same high school, um, but it was a, a magnet school that, that brought um, people together from the, the suburbs of Connecticut and, um, and, uh, uh, and the cities. So you had uh, people from, you know, Avon and Farmington and Simsbury, but you also had people from Bloomfield and Hartford and so on and so forth. And um, what I, something that I, so I actually wrote, <laughs> so I recently was, uh, well, recently, I guess it was in 2019, I was a, I was accepted to a, a fancy school, a fancy graduate program in, uh, in biochemistry. And um, when that happened, this is something I'd been thinking about for a long time, but it sort of was a culmination for me of a lot of, it was, it was an unbelievable moment to me. But I think what I found, what, what it finally sort of crystallized was the path that for me to get to where I am. Um, now granted, like obviously in my family, you know, my, my, uh, my mom and dad didn't have very much money when I was younger. And, um, like when they lived in, when they were both students, um, in Wisconsin, they would have qualified for food stamps, but they didn't have, uh, but that students apparently can't apply for food stamps. So they were in this sort of weird middle ground where they couldn't actually apply for the thing they qualified for. Um, so all of that was true, but, but you know, um, she had, uh, my mom had a, a, you know, a middle-class grandmother, um, who was able to help out with financial issues. They both ended up and they were doing, um, uh, professional, uh, degrees that were, that gave them the ability to, to get good jobs and so on and so forth. And eventually I ended up in Farmington, which is a very, um, sort of bougie suburb. <laughs> um, and I think that, um, I, just looking at the trajectory of my life, my personally, and how I got to this sort of this fancy school and so on and so forth, um, it was definitely, I, I fully acknowledge this. And I, I, like I said, I wrote this up in this like little post on Facebook, but just going through step-by-step step how I got to where I am. Now, it's not to say I put no effort in. I obviously, I put some effort in. But the the fact that I, li I live down the street from UConn Hospital, University of Connecticut Hospital, uh, at medical school. So I could go and, for example, do research over the summer in high school, which is what I did for two summers in a row. Um, the fact that I had um, my parents to support me when I went in, uh, and, and got a job at McGill in Canada, uh, in Montreal, to go and work there over summer before I went to, um, to undergrad. Uh, the fact that um, I've sort of basically, and, and all of this was not vir by virtue of anything I did, right? Like, yeah, I had to have the initiative or whatever, you know, sort of myths we tell ourselves about the thing. But I happen to live near Yukon and I happen to live near Yukon because we lived in Farmington and we lived in Farmington because my parents picked Farmington because it had good schools and it has good schools because of obviously, um, you know, just genuine uh, uh, class and race uh, segregation in Connecticut, which is just outrageous um, and has a long, long history and so on and so forth. And it was sort of by virtue of my station, 
I mean, this is what we call privilege, right? But like by virtue of my station, I had access to all of the things that sort of one thing led to another. It sort of put me on that path. And I could just see that like, you know, let's say you wanted to go and work at UConn Medical School for and get research experience as a high schooler. Well, you would have had to get a, some way to get to Farmington. I guess you could have taken the bus from Hartford, but that would have been a, a huge pain and much less convenient than walking down the street. Um, you would have, uh, it would have taken yeah. you a huge amount of time and extra commitment. Um, you couldn't just stop by to sign some forms that, you know, on a whim. You, I mean, just, and that level, that small level of difference. And, and again, I, I like, I, I, when I wrote this down, I wrote down all the different things that sort of gave me this extra little, this little, um, this little boost. So I, I, so in that sense, I, I can't understand obviously what it's like to be in the reverse position, but I can see how each of those things put me where I am really not by virtue of me working very hard. It's really by virtue of just sort of your station. And it's, it's like a real phenomenon, right? You see that, um, you know, one of the best predictors of somebody's success in life is their zip code. Right. It's not actually anything to do with their abilities uh, or anything like that. It's just to do with where they live. Exactly. You know, were they born to a family with money, without money? Were they born to a family with property, a house, for example? Were they uh, born in a, a town that happens to have good schools? Um, were they born uh, in proximity to things, resources that they could access? Um, did their parents go to university? Like all these things have nothing to do with you. They're just a, by virtue of. And then, of course, this is all just like very easy, tangible stuff we can look at. But like, why was my family able to get a, a, a mortgage and then a second uh, a, a remortgage on their house? Right. If they had been black, would it have been so easy to get, you know, and, and like all these things, like they get compounded on on multiple levels by race and gender and all these other things. But these are all compounding factors that give people and they don't even I mean, you don't even realize it because you don't see sort of how it would have been. In, it's like that, you know, it's 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 being unable to see that parallel track where, you know, if you and I went to go to the bank separately to apply for a loan and how we each respectively get treated, neither of us knows how the other one's getting treated per se. All we can do is look at what happened to us. But I think that when you take that sort of zoomed out view and you look at the data on this, which is very, very, very clear um, that uh, the system is just not set up to, um, to have certain people succeed. And so when people do succeed, like you have done very well for yourself, I mean, I think that's, that's pretty amazing. And that's where it comes into play when, 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 and this is what I try to tell people, like when black people, um, and I shouldn't say black people, but I'm <laughs> going to generalize when I talk about myself, but like when you bust your ass to get to a certain spot in life or a certain place, and after that, for someone to just belittle you just because of the color of your skin, like, I don't think people understand how painful that is. Like growing up, it was not, and I can tell you like, under Trump's administration, it has not, it, it takes me to a place, it made me feel like we were going to take a step back in time, a step back in time to a place that I never, I've never lived in, you know, um, where, where it would be acceptable to say, well, no, black people go here, or if you're brown and you, or you look tan or whatever, then you need to go back this way, or you need, it, it felt like that's what was going to be happening, and, and that's what I didn't like about it. I get that, like, um, some people, oh, well, you know, he's not this, he's not that. And I, I get that how, that's how people felt about it. Because some people are like, oh, well, he makes my, I had one coworker, Spanish. And he was like, oh, well, um, and this is before the pandemic. He was like, oh, well, at that, I mean, I don't care for the guy, but I voted for him because at that, my 401k is popping. And it's just like, how many, 
how many black and brown people you know have a 401k and if we do have a 401k do we even really know how to invest our money into these things and that's another thing like some some depending on who you are and your family in in their culture you learn about these things and i think for a lot of the black and brown communities um that that's not something that we learn about stocks and all like that's not something that we learn about you know more so as you learn that you you work and that and you work and you make sure you work hard because working hard pays off and and that's what that's what we were told and then now i now i'm an adult and after i've taken what i was told about working hard and boom like i've i've bust my ass i that you know i went through the ringer there was sometimes i wanted to give up but like just keep going you know you're going to see the light at the end of the tunnel then you're going to be at the end of the tunnel and you get there only for someone to build something else up like another barrier and i think with this year um that's what really happened because this year i i mean i gave birth um the day after i gave birth i graduated with my master's um i'm working towards getting a license um for that and then after to still be looked down upon after all i feel like i've accomplished because to me like i don't like change at all and and this was this year was a huge change i became a parent i also became a graduate so i'm like I'm somewhere, but I'm starting from ground zero all over again. And then at that, to be pushed further down, like, oh, well, you know, you're black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On top of all the, oh, by the way, you're black. So it, it was like that. And I felt like for this, um, for for this year in particular, um, especially with the pandemic and how like black people were being affected, I have a friend whose grandma died from Corona and people like, Oh, Corona doesn't exist. It's not real. And if you have an underlying condition, they should say that you die from your underlying condition and not Corona. And I'm just like, it, it, you guys are stupid. Like, and I, and I hate to say it's like that, but you, you had an underlying condition. You probably would still be here had you not had Corona. So that was also a factor in what killed you. Like people, do you got, do you guys realize that like these people probably would have been here and had they not had a virus go in and attack their their um I guess was it does it attack the lungs for well, actually attack different things for different people. So yeah, no, definitely. You know what I'm trying to say if it didn't do that, then these people would still be here. Like do you guys not realize that? Like and even then how people um and that was irritated me is how polarizing that peep that it was and after somebody could come out with one conspiracy video and it would get shared millions of times. And, and after that, for some people, that was the gospel. And that irritated me because are you looking on the other side? And get don't get me wrong. Like I said in the beginning of this, I have been lazy <laughs> sometimes when it comes to doing research. But also I know because of what I study and that's psychology, like I, like I was saying before, is a science. So what I've studied and how I have to go about looking at things, I, I, like, I can feel how I feel but also let me see the other side of it too. And then from there, let me really make my, let me make an actual definite, you know, decision based off of that. Cause sometimes you can make a decision based off how you feel, but also I do think looking at both sides and give you a better, it should at least give you a better grounding. Um, and I think that's what I try to do. And I think that people were not trying to do it. And I feel like this election was very polarized. Um, People were deleting people off Facebook behind. Yeah, us. I mean, I think. I mean, well, first of all, just on the on the coronavirus stuff, I think it's actually kind of amazing. It goes even further than just, you know, um, you know, there's 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 stories of nurses who are talking to patients 
who are denying COVID-19 is a thing as they die from COVID-19 on hospital beds. I mean, it's that level of denial. Um, and it's, and it's, it's, it's horrific. I mean, how people can, can, can be in that level of just alternative reality. And, and it's the same with, um, you know, there's other, there's other, uh, uh, I would say, but the other sort of primary, um, conspiracy theory that, in some ways, I guess, tied into the COVID-19 conspiracy theories. Um, but QAnon, which you may have heard of, is a, quite a big phenomenon. And, and it really took over, especially during lockdown, um, because people were trapped at home and you had all these um, these folks from young to old across. Actually, it, the weird thing about QAnon is that it actually is quite a um, cross um it, it gets a good cross section of America. You get people who are, you know, black and uh, Latinx and um, and white and Asian and so on and so forth. And um, and you'll 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 see them all at these uh, at these at these um, rallies or whatever. But what happens is they get they get stuck at home and you know they get sucked into these YouTube wormholes where they just watch this absolute nonsense. Um, and it just it just it can turn people from maybe not the you know, from seemingly normal uh, in most senses to, I mean, there were, you know, kid um, uh, parents, uh, there was a, there was a dad who kidnapped his whole family and went on a high speed chase with the police um, because he was convinced that uh, I, I don't remember something QAnon related, something about, uh, about uh, uh, the elites coming for him or something like that. Um, and that, that, and that was really, really scary. Mm -hmm. There was another one where um, this woman rammed her car into like a, a like this teenage kid's, uh, car over and over again because she was convinced that he was um, a pedophile, but it wasn't based on anything. It was all just based on this QAnon conspiracy theory. Like th it really messed with people's heads, and I don't really, I'm not really sure what there is to be done about that. Um, having said that, so I think there's that level of conspiracy theory where you're just you're convinced that coronavirus isn't real or that QAnon is a thing. But then there's the things like um, the, about uh, you know, people who are like support Trump or support um, Biden or whatever their politics are on one side or the other. And I think that that discourse is really, it's what's not, I actually don't think the term polarization is a helpful one. And the reason is that I think there's a, there's a good episode. So one of my favorite podcasts is called citations needed. And I definitely recommend everybody check it out. It's, it's one of the best things I've ever listened to. It's every episode you learn an unbelievable amount, but there's a good episode on polarization and what they make the argument um, uh, about polarization in that episode that what they, they talk about is how um, polarization discourse. So when I say that, I mean, people talking about how polarized things are. Oh, the country's so polarized now. Everything's so polarized. What that does is it covers up the power dynamics at play and it also covers up the moral issues. Mm -hmm. So if you have, for example, an administration that is um, literally building concentration camps at the border for um, uh, immigrants, uh, um, people from Haiti, people from Central and South America, and um and and there's kids like wallowing in their own filth they haven't been you know they've been separated from their parents essentially kidnapped um they'll probably never see their parents again uh and you have that level of of um of crime and um like uh you know that's like a you know a crime against human i mean it's just unbelievable and on the other hand you have people going we should shut these camps down 
and I don't want to be friends with someone who thinks that these camps are okay. And then people will look at that and say, that's polarized. And it's like, well, it's not really polarized. One of these two people are proto-fascists who think that we should lock people up and throw them in cages and throw babies in, into jail. And the others think that we shouldn't do that. And to me, these are not equal and opposite. They are not poles. One is saying something very reasonable, and the other one is uh, is is totalitarian. I mean, like it's these are not equivalent in any way, and nor and nor is it reasonable to describe the situation as polarized. If I'm standing here and I'm like, I'm just going to go about my day, and I'm not going to hurt anyone, and the guy next to me is like, I'm going to kill forty million people. And I say, you probably shouldn't kill 40 million people. And then somebody looks at the situation and says, that's polarized. It's like, is it? Or did that person just run off a cliff, essentially? I mean, I didn't move. They just did something absolutely not. I mean, that's nuts. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I get that idea. And I don't want to be friends yeah, with them on that's, Facebook. Okay, so when you talk about it that way. <laughs> yeah, but when you talk about it that way, it makes sense because, okay. This is what I was I was talking to my sister about is that with the Trump administration um, here in the United States, you felt the hate. I mean, you felt it. I mean, there was no, you know, we shall overcome moment. And granted, like people think, oh, that's only for black folks. But no, I mean, like for us to all like for black people to get ahead, for Latino people to get ahead, for any other immigrants or whoever in this country that are not Anglo-Saxon white to get ahead, we all have to technically work together at, at some capacity, you know? And um, even for America to be, America, I mean, America is, is the United States. Like, let's be real, it's the United States. So if we're supposed to be united, you know, and if they can't just be within the wording, it has to be within the people. And that, that's what I believe. So I'm just saying, like, you felt the actual, like, hate. And and I, I, and I was saying, um, in one of the podcasts I did, I was saying, like, you know, when I saw a Trump sign, it was almost, like, synonymous to racism to me. It was like, when I seen that, I was like, racist. Like, and, and that's what I started to see. Even when I saw an American flag, I, I, it felt like racism. Like, oh, a racist lives there. And the American flag should never be synonymous with racism. But I mean, for me, I, that's I how think, it felt. I think you'd be justified in feeling and, that way. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but th I mean, that's what you felt. You felt hate, and the thing is, like, I I would tell my my friends or even my coworker, um, some of them that I talked to, especially like the history teacher, um, I would tell them I was like, you know, like this country. I feel like when when you look at the black and brown people, um, or even like the immigrants that they they talk so negatively about, like they are very loyal to a country that has never been loyal to them. And what I mean by that is like this country um has taken everything from us i mean like black people like we didn't start off like they always want to tell us that we start as slave like our our ancestry everything started off as slavery and it's like no we didn't start off as slaves we were we were uh people before you know like there they the society had doctors you know they had like you know, lawyers or whatever. I don't know if they were lawyers or whatever they were, but you know, they, they, they had their own society. And then after they were brought here and made slaves, they were, I didn't like my family didn't start off as slaves, you know, that's just where you tell me we start, you know what I'm trying to say? So 
they've in, in in that regard you've taken everything and then when you even think about like some people like oh black people need to get over it like they need to get, it was so long ago but only two generations have passed us where we can actually vote i don't think people understand only two generations my grandma <laughs> my grandma like my grandma's only 69 she just turned 69 so like my grandma only from my grandma on and even then my grandma i think had to be like when they were allowed to vote it was like 1968? Uh, like yeah. 68? So you think 1968? My uncle was born in 1966. He's 53. So by the time my uncle was two years old is when they allow people to vote. My grandma and Ruby Bridges are the same age. So it's only been two generations. So for to tell a people to get over something, I, I well, and it, I mean, it goes it, it goes even further than that. We right? have I mean, to get it's over. not like any of the you know. I mean, it, it's not over either. Um, it's not like this it, thing stops. There's a there's a diagram that goes around every now and again, and it's like a timeline, and it shows uh, in perspective how long slavery lasted, how long Jim Crow era lasted, and then like our like sort of the modern era, um, sort of post the Voting Rights Act. Uh, so that was actually 1965, or the Civil Rights Act as well, um, and. And, um, okay. and so, but, but so close. in that last period, you go, okay, it's only been a little bit of time. But actually, I think that diagram is really misleading because, yes, all of that it's not it's not untrue. Um, but what it, it it implies is it, it puts the the slavery bit in red, the Jim Crow era in yellow, and then the last bit, like sort of the modern era, in green. But that implies that like the green era is. Uh, good or fixed yeah and uh, what we know on multiple fronts so um and everything from education to housing to literal voting which continues to be infringed to mass incarceration which i you know i would say is and others have said much more eloquently but is absolutely the obvious successor to slavery um it really doesn't suggest that we have moved beyond it at all it hasn't been even one year. It hasn't been any years. <laughs> it's still happening. So the idea that like anyone could get over something that's still happening is even more absurd. It would be absurd if it was 50 years ago, but it's even more absurd because I don't think there's anything to get over considering uh, or that anyone should ever get over it. But even if they, they were to, how can you do it as it's happening? I mean, it's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous notion. Exactly. And I think that this, that's why I said like this year in this election has done it is done bad, but it has done some good because I think it has allowed for um, for myself and other people that I am close to to actually really do our research, you know. Um, and I think that you also have like we have like the Latino community sometimes, or even like other um, immigrants that 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 have the the brown skin or black skin, whatever they want to call it, of the melanin. Um, and they don't see themselves as being African-American or black or whatever. Um, but, and I hate to say it, this year they were treated how we are treated. Because sometimes they see themselves as other than. Um, and this year it's like, oh no, we're all one. Um, and, and it's just that idea. Not everybody does that. It, it's not everyone, but you do have a couple from the community like, oh, I'm not this and that. And it's like, um, technically... The way that you are seen by um, racists or like you know white people that are racist that that want just like superiority, um, you're seen is 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 in the same category as I am, and I think um, 
they felt it, they didn't feel good. And it was like, oh, we all really do need to work together. Um, which is a good and bad thing that that had to happen that way. But it, 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 I think, um, it definitely allowed us to see that we get way more shit done working together and accomplished than we do separate. And actually it brings me to the, um, I'm not sure if you said this before, before the podcast or actually on the podcast, but something you alluded to was the, the idea of people continuing to be politically involved after the election. So I'll, I'll just lay my cards on the table on this because I think it's irrelevant for people to, you know, if you want to disregard everything I've said after I said this, that's fine. But, um, so I actually, I'm, I'm not very invested in electoral politics. And part of the reason for that is I, I, I'm, I'm an anarchist, so I don't, really believe in in the and i really believe in um the power of government to resolve issues but what i do believe in and following exactly from what you, you talked about is that um you know i do believe in in the basic concepts of things like mutual aid right um so so i mean what what does buju banton say right uh Brothers and sisters looking out for one another, right? That is that's mutual aid, and that concept is based on um, the. It's actually based on a, a well, theoretically an evolutionary principle, um, but I think it's just a it's a common sense like societal principle as well, and it's the idea that um, the community belongs to itself, that you are part of the community, that you owe what you have to the community, but that the community also owes you. Um, a, uh, a like a, um, a basic uh, your basic needs. So uh, so a community should whatever your society is, and you can look at this anyway. It could be your neighborhood. It could be you could look at it as a government, I suppose. Although again, I'm not I'm not necessarily advocating for that per se. But whatever your community is, you what the work you do goes into supporting the community, and then that community should be supporting you as well. So if you are a farmer and you, um, you know, you harvest carrots, those carrots, you should get those carrots. So should the community because the community supports you with providing you the tools and the resources and the, uh, let's say the, the housing and the rest of it to, to get those carrots produced. Um, but then you also are, 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 benefiting from the fact that the rest of the community is providing houses for you. And that's so one, one, the housemaker provides you a house and the, the, um, the, uh, uh, the, whatever the, the cow herd gives you steaks or whatever the case may be, but you, and you give them carrots and everybody gets <laughs> to benefit from that. And I think that that is, it's a basic, it's a very basic idea. And like, you can extend this to any number of things. So um, one of the, actually one of the, the best, sort of analogs that we have that is very common it would be something like a library right you can donate books to a library but you're also completely entitled to go to a library as part of the community and take books out for your own your own personal use and you can return them and, and other people could then use them as well and that is the kind of idea that's sort of the basis for mutual aid and i think that i'm not speaking about this in abstract terms like this is something that has really you know i think the immiseration people have felt under um covid19 as a result of i would argue capitalism as well as um the the, the virus itself um has 
has forced much as you much as you said has forced people to sort of recognize like racism um in its in its face in many ways it's become so unavoidable i think it's also forced people to recognize that the only people coming to save you are your is your community you know you the federal government is not going to send in not joe biden not donald trump nobody's going to send anybody into your community to help they might send in troops to to, to beat you up but they're not going to send cops or whatever the case is, but they're not going to send in, um, they're not going to send in, uh, uh, food trucks, right? You, or stimulus checks. But, and, and no actually, you know, that stimulus check. check, I mean, I, again, I don't, <laughs> I don't think that's necessary because it's, yeah. There's, 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 there's problems with it, but I think the stimulus checks were a great idea. Given the system we have, they made a lot of sense, and they were actually functionally one of the largest transfers. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you know this is like a regular um, uh, talking point of, of the, the left, um, and I think it's, it's very true. That's why people say it a lot, which is that over the past however many decades, certainly since Ronald Reagan, let's say, who's, I would say, the progenitor of most of the um, right-wing sort of evil in, in the United States, but um, ever ever since since that, there's there's been um, there's this rise of what they call neoliberal economics, this sort of laissez-faire economic system, and in that process, uh, a huge amount of money has transferred from the lower, middle, and even to some extent upper classes to the top one percent, which is a very small amount of the people in the United States, obviously, and. Um, and that's happened around the globe. That's not just in, um, you know, it happened in the UK where I live now under Thatcher um, and and just you know, around the, the, I mean, Pinochet and like you could go around the world. There's this, this is a, a, it wasn't implemented everywhere, but the effect was felt globally where all of the money that seemed to be generated by people who were very poor was going to people who were very, very wealthy. And when they did this stimulus check in the United States, it was the first time in a very long time that there was a transfer of wealth from the wealthy to the poor. That doesn't happen. So, I mean, that is just an obvious net good on its face that, you know, this widening gulf of inequality that we've been seeing for the past however many decades has was for the first time shrinking. And that only lasted a very period. And that was just with a $1,200 check, which, as you, you know, as you know, what they absolutely should have. I mean, but I'm just saying, even with just $1,200, <laughs> they were able to close that gap a little bit. Imagine if they had made this a regular, a regular deal. What? Like Canada? Canada, I think they get 2,000. I could be lying to you, but it's something they get well, every in, month. Or in the UK, like they that, do right? furloughs. Some people but who had to leave their jobs, the they were paid uh, something like 80% of their paychecks. Right? There are there are a lot of ways to do it in a way that doesn't leave everyone sort of on and it continues to, i mean the thing i don't understand and this is a bit of a side point but like if you're so concerned about the economy like people can't participate in the economy if they have no money so if you give them money it's not like that it's not like that money goes into the ether exactly. you give someone twelve hundred dollars they're gonna spend saying. it in the That's economy what obviously saying. what else are they gonna do with it exactly and that's what i was telling my um my co because i have a co-worker who's a trump supporter <laughs> Or was I'm playing? Who was a Trump supporter? But um, and she was like, "Oh well, Biden is going to tax our 401ks." I'm like, "Well, you didn't know that Trump is taxing Social Security now. My grandma get a Social Security check, and um, they damn sure is taking taxes out of that." So I was letting her know that, and also it's just the idea that, like, and I was telling her it really doesn't matter who wins, 
what well, matters, but like it, the party really doesn't matter. And the idea that Democrat, Republican, the middle class is going to pay for everybody. Middle class pays for everybody. And what I mean by that is like we help the poor in a sense that like, you know, what when it comes to um, the funding for the different programs, then after we keep the rich rich. So at, there's no economy without a middle class. And and that's what, at least for the United States, that's what I was trying to explain to her is that technically, like, if they don't do the middle class good, then nobody is good. Because that top 1% makes their money off of what we, usually it's the people that own, like, you know, they have, they own the, the stocks and the all that. So if we're not buying anything, they're not making any money. If we're not buying anything, the federal government is not collecting taxes. So it is... It, is is that idea like how you were saying like like you know that I guess it to me it takes me back I'm so terrible but it takes me to like <laughs> algebra two <laughs> inputs and outputs <laughs> for some reason Caruso like drilled this in my head but it's like whatever you put in well exactly system, and and, and I don't know why people system. people think that like if you give and, people money it's like setting it on fire and it's like no it's the opposite I mean people spend them I don't. I don't know what economists think is happening. I mean, not all economists. Actually, some economists think are very logical about this. But there are some many economists who are like, if you give people money, it's it's going to hurt. It's going to increase the national debt, and the money is just you know. It's like, but that money doesn't go away. You're adding that money back in the economy by giving it to people because if you give it to people, they'll spend it. And in fact, um, well, yes, and actually, it's the exact. It's coming it's right the back. The same to you. logic that. That um, I mean, it's it, this is a nonsense logic that the uh, so there was an economist named Art, and I put well, I should put it in quotes, but anyway, Art Laffer, who is a, a guy who created what's called the Laffer curve, which is the idea that um, if you cut taxes on the rich, it'll pay for itself over time. Uh, and it was nonsense; it's always been nonsense. It's the same; it's the trickle-down economics principle that has been perpetuated since as i say ronald reagan and it's it's not it's not a real thing it's never been true it's never ever 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 worked they've done it a million times and every time all it does is add to the debt and the rich people get really rich but the idea is if we give rich people money they'll hire more people and it'll keep the economy going which is like again it's it's, is it a reasonable hypothesis? I suppose, but we've tested it about a hundred times. It never works. It, they just keep the money and they go, that's nice. And we're going to continue paying our workers nothing and not hiring people because why would we do anything, right? I know. Look at all the people who made money. Look at all the, look at oh, all yeah. these, exactly. look at the people who made money during this pandemic. It's yeah, like I mean, people Jeff lost a great jobs of that. and yep. you made money. Like, Amazon, don't get me wrong. Like, hopefully Amazon don't come for me because I still need my prime. But <laughs> what I'm saying is, look at Amazon, though. Like, now they've opened up a pharmacy. Come on now. Everybody knows when you hit that farm. Once you talk about pharmacy and you get into that's big ass money. Like, come on. Yeah, and mean, then from there, they allow them to keep expanding. You keep expanding. You're paying your workers $15 an hour. What the fucking do? That's still not enough. Oh, they get a little bit of stocks in, in, within Amazon, it's but just, it's still yeah, not as much as, and, yeah, as, as the, the conditions that Amazon workers work in is absolutely terrible. But but so so one idea is let's give the rich more money and then they'll somehow make the economy better, which is crazy and doesn't work. But then the alternative idea is what if we give everyone – money and if you give everyone money by default you're giving more poor people money because there's more poor people than there are any other people and if you give everyone money then they will actually spend it like who's more likely to spend twelve hundred dollars 
Jeff Bezos or, you know, a mom of three who's, you know, trying to meet, uh, like, you know, trying to, like, put food on the table every week. Obviously, the, the mom, right? Uh, so, obviously, it makes more sense. And, uh, and who, so, therefore, exactly. where's that money? Where, who's more likely to put that money back into the economy? You know, Jeff Bezos might take that money and put it into stocks. And so, that'll, I guess, help the stock market or something. But it's not going to help. It's not going to go into um, into retail or into like it's not going anywhere else, and so I just think I, and and again there's a lot more moms out there than there are Jeff Bezoses, so I just find it to be absolutely wild that that's sort of the logic. Exactly, and that's what I'm saying. Like even when you think about it, um, like I guess even when we think about it though, like for Trump's administration, you, I don't know if you got to see the graph of like how he broke down taxes. Um, but the way it would look is that every two years that basically the poorest people are going to be basically hit with the most, like the, he lowered it as to where it bumped us into new tax brackets. So once you get bumped into a new tax bracket, um, then from there you qualify for less deductions. So if you qualify for less deductions, that means that you're going to end up starting to, owe, even though you don't make the money to pay so it is is this weird thing and then after they're going to be cuts for the top half and it's like why and if you make over four hundred thousand dollars i think it's a four hundred thousand i believe so if you make over four hundred thousand dollars um then you're good you're good but if you make under that then you're fucked yeah, and, like, I mean, that's crazy. You make, and i think that that's i mean that's the that's the whole scam of it right um what you want is a progressive tax system, um, which is a term used to describe. So there's regressive and progressive like taxation systems, and there's, you know, there's there are some that end up punishing um, the people who have the least, and there's there's some that end up helping the people who have the least. And so obviously the ones that help um, help people who have the least are progressive tax systems. So if you tax, for example, there's a there's an idea out there to tax um, wealth to tax inheritance and to tax income. So there's three different um, forms of taxation. Some people argue, and I think this is reasonable, that all three should be taxed. And who's, who's inheritance, who is the inheritance tax going to fall on? Is it going to fall on poor people? Obviously not, right? Poor people are not passing on estates to their kids when they die. Who is a wealth tax going to affect? Well, obviously not poor people because, it, first of all, it kicks in at like whatever, let's say 100000 or a million dollars, right? Well, that's not going to affect poor people. So the only people it's going to affect are very wealthy people. Um, but the, you get these problems with like Jeff Bezos doesn't have a huge income per se, I don't think. But his or maybe he does, but he's got a his assets are liquid; they're all in stocks. But if you can assess his wealth as um, as wealth, if you use a wealth tax, the IRS can go in and say, "Well, Jeff Bezos doesn't have um, what is it, uh, hundred billion in the bank." But he's worth $100 billion, so we can tax him on $100 billion because we've added up all of his assets. Then you can actually tax him appropriately, but that's not what currently happens. So you can implement these policies, and there are some really good um, – uh, Gabriel Zuckman and um, – oh, what's his name? Um, it's escaping me. But there's a bunch of really cool economists that have talked about this extensively as like if you do these things, and they're very implementable. You just have to be a political will to do it. Um, then you can actually – rest some of this money and they and the, this idea that they're going to leave the country to hide from the taxes or that they're going to hide their money offshore 
these are completely sermon. First of all, the, the idea they're going to leave is not really supported in the evidence. And the idea that they're going to put it offshore is potentially true. But you can use policy to make sure that, for example, if you are hiding your money in the Cayman Islands, you can make you can put policy in place, international policy, that if you make it, you sign an agreement with the Cayman Islands or with France or, or Ireland or whatever the, the, the places that they're hiding their money. And you say, if we're going to make a deal, if anyone from our country tries to hide money in your country or vice versa, we're going to make sure that it gets filed with you so that they can't sort of evade those taxes. And then there's no one, for, nowhere for them to put the money. It's a question of making those policy deals. And it turns out in Europe, they did this a lot. Um, uh, 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 for wealth taxes, and it worked. It, people didn't leave the country, and also they were able to get some of that wealth back and put it, you know, through taxes and and put it back into the governmental sort of um, uh, funds. So it's it's a completely doable thing. It's just a question of whether or not people want to do it. Um, and I think that that's it's amazing to me that that's like a, a possibility that we just aren't entertaining because I mean the only two people who even ran on this as a concept were Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. Nobody else even ran on this. Oh wow, that's cool. I love uh, Elizabeth Warren. I've met her. But they both they both have this, <laughs> this in, college, uh, in their platforms. But Joe Biden didn't. Kamala Harris didn't. I mean. There's any number of things that these these candidates and so uh, yeah it's just wild and, and so the last thing I just want to say sorry I'm, I'm sort of going on but I th I think that um, just going back to what I was saying earlier about mutual aid and so on it these ideas aren't necessarily abstract but what I think is really important is that I think people get very invested in electoral politics and I don't I don't I not I don't think it's a per se a bad thing. I'm glad people are politically engaged and certainly it's a great place to sort of start your political engagement. Um, but I think that if you consider, let's take, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to um, hate on Bernie Sanders for a minute. Um, even though I, I like, <laughs> I like the guy, but <laughs> I'm going to hate on it for a second, just to give you an idea. Imagine if the millions and millions of dollars that he raised and the um, millions of volunteers he mobilized, and he really did. I mean, it was really remarkable what he managed to do in his campaign and his campaign was able to do, obviously it wasn't just him, it was a whole staff of people and grassroots organizations who helped with that. Imagine if they had all been working to build mutual aid networks or to build, uh, or to to um, to organize strikes uh, in their workplaces, and, and or to um, uh, organize unions in their workplaces, or to get in the streets and and do direct action, like we see all over, we, we continue to see, but certainly saw all over the country in in the Black Lives Matter um, uprisings. These, in many ways, in my opinion, are much, 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 much much more materially beneficial and useful than spending millions of dollars on a presidential campaign. I mean, I, I regret the amount of time I invested into the Bernie Sanders campaign. I think it would have been much better spent investing in local groups, getting, making sure that I was organized with my community, giving money to mutual aid funds that are doing important, like bail funds, getting people out of jail, these are much more useful. I mean, they directly help people. They're not long. We're not hinging everything on somebody getting voted in or voted out. Like the best thing about grassroots work and, and um, grassroots is sort of a broad term, but, but about this sort of non-electoral political work is it doesn't matter who's in office for that work to continue. It can be easier under say Joe Biden than is under Trump, which is why I think Joe Biden's a better choice than Donald Trump. One of several reasons. 
but it's really not it, it, we can contain so like if you're a Bernie Sanders supporter and Bernie Sanders left the race he drops out and that's exactly what happened right I was supporting him and then he, he left the race I couldn't if I was only electoral in my thinking, I might say, well, okay, that's it. I guess my guy's out, so I'm done, or I'll vote for Biden or whoever the Democratic nominee is, but I'm checked out. But if I'm active in um, organizing or I'm involved in my local, for example, prison abolitionist group, which I am in, in the UK, or if I'm if I'm organizing my local union to, to get ready to strike, or if I'm organizing my local tenants union to get together and do a rent strike, for example, I can continue to do that whether or not Bernie Sanders is running. It has nothing to do with Bernie Sanders, right? It's nice if he's in, if he's not in, whatever, we can still continue to work because it comes back to this idea that no one's coming for us. We need to look out for each other and we can and we should. And if we want to continue our political engagement after this election, as we should, and I completely agree with you, we should do so on our own terms. We don't need to tie it to the Democratic Party per se, which doesn't mean you shouldn't vote. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't vote Democratic. Certainly, I don't think anybody should vote uh, Republican. But it's not the – that's not where the power lies. The power lies in the in the ground up. The power lies in the 300 million Americans uh, uh, or 300, 350 million Americans who, who, um, who are mostly suffering under – both Obama and Trump and so on. And we couldn't, we could put together a coalition to really make a difference, to pressure elected officials, to um, pressure our bosses, to pressure companies to do, to do the right thing. Um, we don't have to rely on getting some amazing candidate into office in order to achieve those goals. It shouldn't rest on that kind of victory. It should rest on us you know, literally making that change and actually doing the good right up front. We don't even have to pressure people. We could also, if we put together a food bank or a mutual aid fund, we can help people right now in our communities without any governmental official getting involved at all. We could do it right now. So I just think that imagine if all those resources have been put towards that goal. I think, I think we could have done a lot of good. And I think I see people doing that now. And I think that's really great. And I want that to continue. I don't want people to say, well, the election's over. I'm all, you know, Biden's been elected. Perfect. That's what I wanted. You know, yeah, time as they say, time for brunch. It's like no, it's not. It's now it's time to get in the street. But that's what I'm saying. I think that is where I was. That's where I'm at. I guess because um, before because I'm going to wrap it up soon. But like that is where I I was left out with the impression Absolutely. that um, that this can't stop because um, as a for me as a black as a black woman. Um, as a mother of a black son, as uh, well, soon to be wife to um, a black cop, and which a lot of people that throws them off, right? Um, but um, it, it's a lot. It is it, it's a lot because if we if we just stop and think that one person this one the, this one person with this this title is going to save us, then um, we have a lot of work to do. I mean. As people, we have to take care of each other. I mean, um, and I know, like, for some people, like, if they are Christians or not Christians or whatever, I don't give a damn. But it's also that thing that you're supposed to love thy brother or love thy neighbor. And I, I, and I wholeheartedly believe in that. You don't have to like them. <laughs> you don't have to like them. But, I mean, it, it for us to really take care of ourselves, we have to be able to take care of the, the person next to us in that, in that regard. Because... 
And like I was trying to tell my coworker, you know, the Republican and the Trump supporter, um, basically is that that the idea that black on black crime exists and I'm, I had to tell her like it really is more so proximity. So if we're taking care of one another and, and you don't have food in your fridge, but you feel as though you have to go to the corner store that's like right there, you have to steal from my business because you don't have food in the fridge. Um, what would be the difference if we if we help you put food in the fridge? Granted, some people just clip those. Don't get me wrong. But if 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 we could ensure exactly. that that's one basic need that you didn't or have to worry about, or education, then maybe there or, would be yeah, less food. of I that. Mean, and I, I think you're absolutely right. And actually, it, what's amazing to, to exactly. me is that there's actual data on this. Right? There was this um, um, two separate studies done in Philadelphia, just as a random example, where they. I talk about these all the time where they literally just mowed lawns in like empty lots in the city in Philadelphia. They either mowed the lawns or they fixed these broken windows or they fixed what they call blight. So it's like, you know, when it's like broken concrete and it's all just sort of, ugh, you know, you don't really, and the street lights aren't really working and it's just sort of shady. And then um, there was gun crime in these areas. When they fixed these, 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 um, these uh, public spaces, these communal spaces, Gun crime dropped something like it was something like uh, whatever twenty thirty percent, and it didn't just go somewhere else; it disappeared. So literally, this wasn't even necessarily fixing underlying problems of um, resources. It was actually just fixing the community so that it was um, uh, presentable and creating these social spaces. Exactly, and so presentable. If that works. So Imagine what would happen proud. if you made sure everybody had healthcare. Imagine if everybody had something to eat. If everybody had you know a minimum wage that wasn't you know atrociously low i mean it would be a totally different world and yeah if housing would stop going up and and even worse if than that, if, uh, or even better than up. that if um <laughs> if you we didn't have continued redlining and uh and and ghettoization of of black folks into particular communities if they were if 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 we were able to desegregate places like connecticut which have some of the worst cases of inequality in the country <laughs> Listen, we'll save that for. I have to bring you back. We have to save that for another podcast because I didn't realize how bad it was until my sister was doing it for a class, and I looked at the map. I was like, "Oh shit!" Yep. <laughs> Listen, where the highways and everything's <laughs> located, I read. I was like, "This is some bullshit." <laughs> but definitely, sorry. So I'm going to wrap it up because <laughs> my son is bound to wake up, and he finally fell asleep. He's bound to wake up at any time, but um. So thank you. And I'm pretty sure in the UK is, pro- I, I didn't probably catch you up past midnight. So um, thank you. I'm definitely going to reach out so that we can do something else about like these different things. Cause when we talk about this, like I said, this is the mental block. Um, these things matter um, because it affects the people that I work with and does have an effect on our mental Absolutely. health. As thank just you so much. Um, so definitely. So thank you. Is there any last thing you have um, to say, want to uh, say, or you feel that you should say? I just, you know, stay mad, you know, <laughs> get out there, get in the streets. Like, you know, it, we, we, um, things won't change <laughs> unless we make them change. So, you know, we got to do it. There's no one else. All right. Thank you once again. <laughs> I'll so be much. definitely writing you to Bye. ask you to come back.